you're listening to the Bossy Bitch Podcast with Elsa Mitchell. Come along with me as I explore all the remote corners of Australia, uncovering success stories from women killing it in business. I'll inspire you, teach you, and best of all, make you laugh by sharing their journey and mine so that we can grow together in life and in business. Mom, have you seen my pants? Mate, get out of here with the podcast. Welcome to episode 19 of the Bossy Bitch podcast. Before I introduced my introduced, introduce is a word, um, my guest today, I would like to tell a little story about how we met. A few weeks ago, I was up in Broome and I was lucky enough to be speaking at the Women in Leadership Forum and I was sitting at a table with the other speakers that day and Um, this lovely lady came and sat next to me and I liked her immediately. She's just one of those people that had the kindest, or has, not had, (laughs) has the kindest, gentlest nature. I'd almost go as far as to say she seems sweet. (laughs) But then she gets up on stage and she told the most badass story I've ever heard come out of a woman's mouth. So this is Alex Atkins, and I'm so excited that you've come on today, Alex, to share your story. Oh, Elsa, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that intro. You almost (laughs) made me cry. (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to tell people your story, you know, I was so just like, whoa, that is not what I was expecting you to get up on stage and say, because, and it just goes to show you. You know, you think you you can judge someone, if we want to call it judging, or first impressions. Mm. Um, Not what I was expecting, the story you told. (laughs) And, you know, that's why my business card has got lots of pictures of me on the back uh, (laughs) what I used to do, (laughs) just to let people know, yeah, true, really, I am what I say I am. Yeah, do not underestimate the power of this sweet-looking lady. (laughs) (laughs) So Alex is currently a non-executive director of ASX 200 company. How do I say it? Parenti Global? Yeah, Parenti that's right. Global, yeah. Um, which is a mouthful. And that is just like a tiny dot on her super impressive resume. <laughs> Alex, I would love for you to share with my listeners A bit about your story um, in mining and how you were amongst the first wave of women that really got into mining in Australia and um, kind of where it led, the path it led you to, which I won't say too much, I'll let you talk about that. Okay, thank you. So I'm just thinking where shall I start from? Shall I work backwards or shall I go back and work forwards? <laughs> I, I just want you to tell the story about you um, panning for gold with your little picket underground in the mine, you know, chipping away at rocks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, I never panned. Um, <laughs> I might have been in a pan but never panned. Um, so uh, I guess if you want to start there, that would have been those pictures that I put up on the screen at that event in Broome that we met each other at, uh, they were photos of me over many years between 1986 and probably up until 2003 when I had my first child um, at various mines uh, all over Australia, Papua New Guinea, Tasmania, Queensland, WA, 
uh, gold, uh, copper, lead, zinc, um, tin, underground open cut uh, as a miner as well as an engineer and a geologist. And um, the minor part is uh, if you want to be a mine manager, you have to get your underground mining time to get your first-class mine manager's ticket, and that's when I did time on air legs, which is handheld mining, which is kind of like a great big jackhammer. It's yes. not really a jackhammer. That's kind of like a jackhammer. And Alex actually had this photo of her with these, sorry, what do you call air legs? An air leg. Air leg. It is like a giant jackhammer. So, and to paint the picture, it was this tiny, petite little blonde girl that looks about 20 and she's got this, she's in an underground mine with this giant jackhammer. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is so cool. And what was cool about that day, I never got to catch up with her, but I suspect the wife of one of the air leggers that I was working with was in that room that day. Oh, yeah, a Broom family, the Cream family. Robbie Cream's wife uh, was apparently, I was told she may have been there, but I didn't get to meet her. Oh, what a shame. uh, Yeah, but that that was actually one of the highlights of my whole career was my time uh, doing my underground mining time, particularly the air leg mining, because it's kind of artisanal mining and it's... um, it's hard <laughs> to, to do it. You have to be pretty freaking tough. And I just was unbe- I was blown away by how freaking beautiful those men were, how wonderful they treated me so well. Um, and, you know, they let me um, have a crack. You know, they let me try and be what they were, which a lot of men, you know, in the early stages of my career, uh, were telling me, what the hell are you doing here? Get back home, get pregnant in the kitchen, you know. Yes. Um, and, and it was against the law early in my career for women to be underground. And um, so so there are a lot of barriers and myths busted in the early days. That blows so that, my that, mind that, that women weren't <laughs> even allowed to go underground. Like, Yeah, it's still it's like that in many countries. It's There's many countries around the world that have still got a law like that. I think you said Papua New Guinea still, um, it's still illegal for women to go into underground mining. Yes, and um, I believe India has just changed their laws um, so that, because I know this because Parenti's got um, um, a mine that we were working at in India and we've got some Indian mining engineering ladies and uh, I was informed that the laws had been changed and that they could work underground. I was thrilled. So... um, I'm going to say maybe that's where all the men are hiding the bodies. <laughs> <laughs> it's just I love I love seeing I love seeing um, barriers um, to women's ability to be whatever they want to be broken down, and you know I love to see um, gender stereotypical assumptions about what women can do and can't do busted and. Like when I came out of high school, I finished high school 1985, in 1985, and it was around about then that they passed a lot of legislation in Australia um, to do with equal rights and, and anti-discrimination legislation so women could work wherever they wanted to. Up until 1984, there was no legislation giving women any rights to work where they wanted to work. Um which blew me away. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and I was alive was not, then. <laughs> yeah, that, not that long ago. I, I think there was this whole era at the time of 
girls can do what boys can do. I came out of high school with that mentality and I was a little bit um, pumped up. You know, I really wanted to um, just go and do stuff that girls don't normally do. And so when I went to the School of Mines in Kalgoorlie, I was the only girl doing my course in my year. Wow, that must be so intimidating. I think at the time I was really lucky um, because I never felt intimidated. Um, But one of the things that I did notice was that um, there were some girls that went through the School of Mines, you know, on other courses like metallurgy or something like that. There were more women in metallurgy um, that really did cop it. And I think a lot of it depended upon the tone you set from day one. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to be... You had to rock up and punch the toughest guy in the face, send a message. Uh, I was (laughs) never like that. I should have been. My my daughter's been raised to do that. But (laughs) I I, I wasn't raised like that. But I was just really prim and proper and, um, you know, never showed, uh, you know, too much leg or too much cleavage. Didn't do anything to invite trouble. Yep. So, yeah, and that's not right because, you know, that's what a lot of the conversations are about. Yes, is that you shouldn't have to to take those measures, no, yeah. But I was really careful and um, and for for my whole um, career I've always been really careful about that and and I was listening to Karen Andrews on the TV the other night when she said she'd had a gutful and um, did you hear that? No. She was, uh, she's one of the federal ministers uh, that's part of the Liberal Party, um, you know, the senior women in Parliament. And she's one of the few that stood up and said, you know, what's going on here is just absolutely terrible. And she said, I've had a gutful. Oh, you know what? I did. I saw this. I saw the clip on um, Facebook or something today and I was like, whoa, you go, girl. Yeah, yeah, good on her. And she said... Um, that as soon as she joined Parliament, she made she realised the culture of the place and how much alcohol is drunk and, and probably some pretty poor behaviour. Um, and she said, "I just made sure I didn't go there. I was I removed myself from that social scene and I just worked." And 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 I thought when I heard her say that, "Yep, that's pretty much hmm. my life." Yeah, you know. So whenever I was on a mine site, it was you very rarely find me in the mess afterwards. Yeah, you know. Um, because I knew that that was the place where trouble trouble looms. Shotgunning beers after work with the fellas. <laughs> That's where the trouble is. So I stayed away from that, which was bad in a way because it was really difficult to build, um, you know, the friendships and the mm. relationships. Um, but but some people take the because um, I'm you called me sweet. Um, they take that the wrong way as well, and you can be taken advantage of. People yes. think that yes signal when you're not yep so it's very uh, delicate dance to look after yourself out on a mine site in the middle of nowhere um to make sure no one does do anything like that to you yep yeah so i'm um, uh, where do we go from here well um i guess then you're using mining and then you know you you spoke about when all the deaths started to happen or well, I guess well, I, I guess I they were always yeah. happening, but once you're in it, then you were you were actually experiencing that and losing people you were working with. Yeah, well, it actually started um, when I went to the School of Mines. The dean of the school, um, who's a very famous guy called Odwin Jones, he one of his speeches to us was, "Look around, look look at everybody 
beside you here. Um, some of you are not going to uh, make it uh, for, for another five years or ten years. He basically was saying, look around, some of you are going to die soon. Oh, my God. Uh, I just said, yeah, yeah. I'm like, fine. It's like like a movie. Like, yeah. Oh. I thought, what the, what the fuck? Anyway. Yeah, you're so, like, which one is it going to be? <laughs> within a year of graduating um, and going to work in the, I went, got sent straight to Queensland. I heard um, that somebody had died who was from uni, one of those people I would have been looking at. Um, he was in the years ahead of me and he had died um, in a in the bottom of a shaft. It was an exploration shaft and there was a tripod on the top which had a, like a bucket in it that they um, raise and lower, to, you know, to, mm-hmm. to take the ore out or the, or the rock out of the shaft as they dig down. And he was at the bottom of the shaft and the whole thing uh, fell in. Um, on top of him and the man he was with, and he killed them. Oh. And, and I remember that being gut wrenching because I thought he was gorgeous. Um, as a, you know, I thought he was lovely. And um, and then later on, when I was uh, you know working at various mines, I think the, the next time I got a kick in the guts was when I went to um, Agnew uh, for Western Mining, and I was out on a, a camp in the middle of nowhere. So when you're in those sorts of environments, you get to know your team well yep and the mine manager tim uh tim proctor was beautiful human this most loveliest man uh and within a couple of years of leaving there he had died and it was um he'd run down to get the guys out of the mine because there was a flash flood so there's sudden uh heavy rainfall mm-hmm. and they had uh, diverted a creek and the creek had gone over the edge of the, you know, obviously not high enough uh, windrow along the top of the pit and it all went into the bottom of the pit and straight down the decline. And a lot has been learned from that about how to design portals into underground mines at the bottoms of pits and uh, what to do and what not to do around diverting creeks and having protection at the tops of pits to stop the water running in and yeah. going down into underground mines. But anyway, so long story short, it happened really fast and um, six, six guys died that day. So that was the beginning of me starting to really notice. Um, and then in 1998 when I did my underground time, um, which I mostly did in Western Australia around Kalgoorlie, Laverton, that year in WA, 13 people died and in mining um, and I think nine of them were underground. And most wow. Of and you couldn't help but think, you know, that could be you at some yeah. point. You know, that could be me. But well, you're constantly thinking that. Yeah, you? of Cause course. You fly a lot and there's always plane crashes and stuff. Like so many plane crashes happened at the places I was working at and everybody on those planes got incinerated. So there's always that stuff going on. And um, uh, rock falls were common and there was a lot of um, progress made since then on standards around ground geotechnical engineering and, and ground support. You know, we've come a long way. But, um, yeah, so there were a lot of deaths. And, and so ever since then I've been kind of obsessed with that topic because of my background which is um i've got i've got two bachelor of engineering degrees one's in mineral exploration and mining geology and the other one is in um, mining engineering oh only two you've only got two (laughs) so the first one i actually wanted to do (laughs) mining engineering first but they wouldn't let me um so i did the bachelor of engineering in mineral exploration and mining geology which was majoring in structural geology yeah. Um, and then I went to work for a couple of years in the mines and then I went down to the University of Queensland in Brisbane 
and got in on that Bachelor of Engineering, Mining Engineering degree, majoring in geotechnical engineering. And so that meant that I was a geologist, a mining engineer, and a geotechnical engineer all in one. Um, and so that kind of multidisciplinary um, tech services, mine design, mine planning kind of background, I knew that most of the disasters that were happening over the years of my career, a lot of them were preventable if only there had been some, um, I guess you'd call it better better diligence, better standards, professional standards um, around how mines are designed and scheduled and, uh, and managed. And, um, and that's probably also why I stepped into the regulator for a little while later on after I had my kids and I was trying to, I was struggling, trying to figure out how I could stay in the industry but do it on my terms as, as, a, as a single mother at that time needing flexibility. Yeah. And so um, I went to work at the Department of Mines for three years as a district inspector. Let's just throw uh, this in though, a couple of degrees, you know, underground mining, air legs. Oh, and and side note, I was a single mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because like you've just thrown it in there casually I'm like that is fucking like so amazing <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually astonished how many single mothers there are out there just nobody usually tells anyone I don't know oh, what yes. that is yes yeah I don't know if that's shame or just fear of being judged or labeled or something but it's, I've been it's a single awful. mother so I've been there I was my twins yeah. were not even one um, when I became a single mum. And I think it can sometimes, I think I said it at the talk on in Broome, nothing lights a fire up your ass to succeed like being a single mum. That's so true. <laughs> uh, you know how they say, um, you know, a lot of women when they leave a, leave a partner, what do they call it, um, when they get really fit and look beautiful, it's their revenge on the yes. partner. Well, for me, beautiful it was I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show them. So yeah, it does. It does put a fire up your ass. But I already had a fire up my ass. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> yeah, and I was driven by anger for a while. Um, but that's gone now. I'm in my fifties, and that sort of all goes away. Thank God. Um, and turns into you still have drive, but it's different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you you became quite fixated, didn't you, on preventing deaths in mining? Yeah, um, I was fixated on understanding why mm. they were happening at first um, and every time there was a story in the news or, uh, you know, something happened somewhere, mainly in Australia I paid attention to because we're supposed to have the best standards for safety and environment in the world um, and it shouldn't really happen here. Um, so I always pay attention and I read all the annual reports that come out of those companies and I read between the lines and I can tell because of what I know, when people aren't really taking responsibility for what's happening and they're calling it an act of God, mm. or an earthquake or something, yeah. when I know, I know for a fact that that's not true, it's mining-induced seismicity because of the way they've designed the mine and the production rates and the sequencing. I know what causes mining-induced seismicity and how it can be better managed. So, so knowing what I know, uh, I read all these stories. The same with the tailing stands in um in Brazil, you know, Brumadino and Samarco, mm-hmm. um, which killed, I think, 270 uh, people. Yeah. Um, pretty bad. And I was paying close attention there as well on uh, what actually happened. And and one of the things that I kept coming back to was that 
I think a lot of people at the front line that are out on the mine sites, and this is what I did for, for the first half of my career, um, they're put in a, a pretty un, in, untenable situation. Um, there's two things going on. One is the, the expectations that are set up at the very start of a project are often what they call blue sky lying, over-optimistic, you know, production rates and costs because people at that point are really incentivized to get a project approved and and, um, and funded and, you know, to, to get that mine or that, that mining company off the ground. Yeah. And and what that le- what that leads to often is um, over-optimism and then those expectations that are set up at the very beginning get pushed onto the poor people on the mine site who inherit um, the mine design and the sequence and the cost structures, you know, the, the expectations of the investors and, and um, the the anybody associated with that mine or that mining company, yeah. those people have to execute that whether it's realistic or not. Mm-hmm. And they may not be appropriately resourced. Yeah. Um, so so they've got pressure on them. They might not have enough resources. They're out there on their own. Um, and so there's a lot of pressure and they, they've got a target on their back. So these are people who are qualified um, professionals, engineers, people like that. Um, and I know when the tailing stamps failed in Brazil, a lot of those engineers ended up um, getting prosecuted oh. for criminal negligence, right? So that they get a target on their back. Yeah. Because um, I, want- I think it's unfair. That's a, that's a tough <laughs> job, isn't it? Like, like, gosh, that pressure, like, yeah, yeah. you really I mean, are responsible for so many people's lives. Yeah, and when you think about that pressure, you're not paid all that much. I mean, if I was. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that might just be Yeah. And, and you see people who are at the top of the company getting paid quite a lot of money. And and and, and I, what I started to pay attention to was who's on the boards um, and, and how come there aren't any people that look like me on boards. Yeah. Um, so I, it made me go on a bit of a journey mm-hmm. uh, to find out what. how do I get on a board because I knew I couldn't be a CEO. Number one, I'm not an alpha type person, really bossy, pushy. Yeah. <laughs> Too sweet. <laughs> I'm just not that type of person. And um, uh, I knew I had so much value to add um, around how do we prevent mining disasters, how can we bring that that responsibility up to the board, the governance, you know, um, body that's responsible for that company. It represents interests of everybody, not just shareholders. Um, so how, how do I get there? And uh, so I made sure I made as many friends as possible who were directors and I went to work for a lady who was a, a company direct director and she was telling me where I was failing, you know, like where I, where I was no good. <laughs> Well, that, you know, constructive feedback's always good. No, I so, you know, she said, you haven't got corporate finance experience. You haven't got C-suite experience. So so that's what I did next is I got an MBA in finance. Of course and you did. You just went out and picked up a couple of other degrees. I mean, well, just like any other normal person would. <laughs> while, while I'm raising my kids. Um <laughs> And then, uh, and then I got a job at Deloitte, and I spent two years at Deloitte getting experience in evaluations, and then the risk, which dealt with audit and assurance. So I got exposed to the stuff that um, you know that the the frameworks and the processes that boards use to um, have oversight over their company. So that gave me um, some really good experience and some knowledge that I would never have received if I hadn't had done something different and weird like that. 
because not many people from my background go and do that. But not um, many people from any background that go and do that. And this is what I love about you, Alex, is like, you're like, I want to do that. And, you know, it's a mountain to climb for you to do that. But you're like, yep, no brainer. I'm just going to go and study finance and get a job at Deloitte. And, yep, then I'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Like, I know, that is stubborn. It's, it's so incredible. It's so incredible. I'm stubborn. Um, as someone tells me I can't do something, I go, will you watch? Stick it to watch. you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so long story short, I ticked off all these things that people were telling me I didn't have. I never became a CEO of a big mining company, but I got C-suite experience with small companies. And um, and then eventually I got a tap and I joined a board. Um, and that was uh, the, that guy that tapped me was my very first mine manager, my first boss when I oh, first wow. graduated my first degree. And that felt like coming home to me. It was such a nice feeling um, to have someone believe in me and trust me. And, um, you know, this is the beginning of Parenti when it was called Ausdrill. Um, and we acquired Baminko and it's a, a pretty big company now and pretty amazing. Um, and so that was just uh, amazing. And I did a lot of not-for-profits before that. You know, a lot of women, when they want to go and join a board, they're told, go and do the company directors course, tick. Um, go and do not-for-profits, tick. And a lot of women end up stuck there. They just do lots and lots of not-for-profits. And and that's wonderful because you're giving back um, and you're adding value. Yes. It's all really good. But there, there comes a point where actually, you know, especially if you're a single mother and you've been doing it tough for a while, you deserve a break. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Damn straight. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so friendship for me was transformational. Really transparent. Okay, so like I always thought I'd be really good on a board. I don't know what kind of board, but you're making it sound really hard. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, um, I am not I was getting a degree to get on a board. <laughs> you know, I was reading something today and I think it was written by a, a male. Well, I know who these people are. They're, they're all um, the traditional, you know, CEOs of big companies talking to traditional directors who've been CEOs of big companies um, and their take on what's wrong with directors at the moment and they're complaining that there's too many directors who've just done the AICD course and consider themselves to be governance experts uh, on their boards and they're really annoying yep. and they, they hate them because they, they don't understand um, what the CEO is going through and they're, they're not adding any value to the CEO because they haven't been a CEO like them. And um, and I think that that's a barrier that's been used for quite some time to keep women out. Mm-hmm. Um, there aren't very many women, particularly in mining, with mining backgrounds, who make it to that level. And so, of course, you're not going to get to boards if that's the prerequisite. Yes. So I just think, you know, we might get told how we're not good enough and we constantly get that feedback that we're not good enough, which is why we all, many of us, go back to uni or go and do courses, or keep working on ourselves, trying to make ourselves better. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll never be good enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just freaking do it. And then once you've started, if you get an opportunity and you might have to take a risk and jump off a cliff without, you know, like jump off a cliff before you've made your, um, what's, it, what's it called when you jump off a hill with the, the big um, parachute thing? Yes. What's it called? Yes. I don't know what it's I called. I can't. I'm so listening <laughs> yeah. to the <that> story. 
<laughs> go flying before you've made your plane. Yes. Maybe don't crash, but basically make the plane as you're flying. And that's that's kind of startup language, but that totally applies to to women who are trying really hard to break into a space that's been kind of um, protected from us entering it yeah. in the past. And um, and we're heading in there now and it's it's ruffling feathers. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd like to think, I'd like to think if you do really seriously have cred in the industry that you're on the board, you know, for that company that you're on the board of, if you have serious cred and operational background, I can't see how anyone could argue that you don't deserve a right. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. You might not look like the blokes. You might not <laughs> <what> they've done. <laughs> but you can still pick up uh, lots of different skills and insights and knowledge, doing things differently and still add value at that level. Absolutely. Yeah. Amazing. But I don't think you wanted to talk about that. You wanted to talk about <laughs> It's all so fascinating, especially for me because it's a world well, for so many people we know nothing about um so it is so interesting but yes one of the things we were going to talk about is what made you make a change in your life and you know hitting a low point yeah which we all go through (laughs) yeah so that was 13 years ago now and I'd like to think I'm fully healed and I'm back to the old Alex but it took me a long time so while I was going through all that stuff, I was a broken woman and I was trying really hard not to show it. Um, <clears throat> so I was with um, a particular man, um, um, an all-round miner, we'll just say, covered in tats, rode Harleys, um, and I worshipped him when I first met him. On my first mine site straight out of uni, I thought he was amazing. And um, But it turns out that I guess he was a bit predatory and I didn't realise I was too naive. I was with him for 20 years and um 20 years gosh yeah yeah I was very loyal I shouldn't have stayed that long but anyway I um I guess I'd had a pretty rough time uh, on a, a lot of sites not all sites but on a lot of sites and and it had a rough time as time went by with him by the time I had the kids things really went south and um I I, I get the impression that a lot of, a lot of women um their, their problems at home with their partner begin at the point of having small children mm-hmm. because it is difficult. It's hard. That's Your so much pressure. Changed dramatically and you become vulnerable because oh. you're not earning an income anymore. You're reliant on, on your partner. Um, so it's a tough, tough time. And my first child had autism as well and um, we still has. So it's anyway. <laughs> it doesn't go away. <laughs> No, it doesn't go away. Um, but so pretty, pretty rough. And and I had uh, had two kids. And when the second one turned eighteen months old, is when I left. Uh, and it was because I was thinking of the kids. Um, I think if I didn't have kids, I would have just kept on going and putting up with it. But I, I actually thought all men would like that. But uh, it took me a while to realise actually that I that there are some really fabulous men out there, good men. And um, so that's been nice to see. But, but yeah, I left because I didn't want my kids to grow up in a home where 
we all had to worry about whether or not we were going to be killed, basically. <laughs> so it got to that point. So full on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was very lucky because the town where we were at the time, I had a friend from uni and she was a recruiter and she said, you've got to get out of there. And she said, if you go back to WA, because I was in Queensland, she, if you go back to WA right now, the mining industry is heating up, you'll get 135000 a year if you go to this company as a, a mining engineer. So I rang them up and they confirmed that was so and off I went because <laughs> I knew I had a job and my parents were there so I knew I had help with the kids. And, and that was the beginning of me um, starting all over again. I basically left everything behind because I didn't want – he was already wild-eyed, wild-eyed, you know, mm. um, I heard on the radio um, many years after that the first shot across the bow for many women in domestic violence situations, uh, that their life is in peril, is when they do something like strangle you. Mm. And he, he'd strangled me with the kids, you know, right. I was holding onto Becky and Dad was hanging onto his leg. Uh, that's my kids, sorry. And, um, yeah. So when you, when you have a, one of those kinds of, events um you know it's um really time to go <laughs> oh god but you did um, go and you packed up your car and you just off you went like yeah. this is what i meant at the start when you just got up and told this completely badass story like <laughs> i just felt so strongly that you are so inspiring to so many women you know you've succeeded you've never given up you've had sheer determination you've had you know, domestic violence, children, one with autism, and yet you show up and you you still have this incredible, you know, life hasn't beaten you down. Well, it did for a little while, but it does all of us at some point. And you still yeah. show up with a beautiful smile and a beautiful energy and oh. keep like, it's amazing, Alex. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, I think it's made me a better person. You know, I think about the person that I was before before the children, um, and going through all of that, as shit as it was, um, was bloody good for me. And I think it's really made me um, a much more patient, you know, including how to handle an autistic child yes. and help them grow up and achieve hopefully their best. Um, so I have two. The other one's not autistic. But um, that whole experience taught me um, patience and to not judge others and to not be critical of others and to, um, you know, to look at look at things from their point of view. I even look at, at my partner from that time and try to understand mm. I always have from his point of view why he is like that. And, and I think that's why I stayed with him for so long because I'm probably too empathetic um, yeah. and, and you forgive too much. But, um, but something that I have learned is... Uh, I think people who've gone through tough times, who, you know, their face has been in the gutter, um, they've been at, at real lows, at the point where they don't even know why Why would you bother carrying on anymore, mm -hmm. you know, just feel so purposeless and pointless and yeah. desperately disconnected from any joy. Um, you know, I did get to that point. Um, but I think when you get to that point, it's an opportunity uh, to, I guess, think about what is important to you and if if you're going to be on this world, what do you actually want it to be about? What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? 
what do you want written on your tombstone when you're dead? What do you want your kids to say about you? Yeah. Um, when you're dead and they're telling people about your life, you know, and that's when you start to really realise what you're here to do. And actually that's really powerful and that really puts a rocket up your ass. Yeah. It's so, like I've told this story a few times on here about my best friend who I started um, this business with who has um, a terminal cancer diagnosis and over the last 18 months, uh, you know, sharing that journey with her has completely changed my life and how I, look at things and a lot of my fears, you know, I used to worry what other people think or it kind of yeah. all just went out the window because I was like, fuck, life is so short and right. um, we don't get a lot of time and it's a privilege to be able to design the life you want and go for the things you go yeah. for and um, it's unfortunate I always say I hate that I had to go through that experience to learn those lessons. You wish that you could bottle it up and give it to someone and say, here's the lesson without having to actually go through the pain. <laughs> but that's not how I don't it think works. They'd learn it. I don't think people would learn it. I no. think you have to have pain. Yes. To grow. And it's awful while you're going through it. But once you come out the other end, um, you're twice the person you were before. Yeah. 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 I think that's a really good note to end on, actually, Alex. We've gone a bit over, haven't we? It's so perfect, though. You know, it's so true. Yeah, you do kind of have to go through it. And having mine's quite fresh, you know, I've probably had the worst six to 12 months of my life. And, you know, you you keep thinking, you know, just every day you show up and, you know, everyone does say you get to the end and, There'll be the light or, you know, it gets better or the lesson learned or lead to something and it all makes sense. So, um, yeah, I think it's amazing that you shared all of that and, like, you're probably the most um, inspiring person I've ever met in my life. Oh, my God. <laughs> the big badass packaged up as this sweet little lady. <laughs> Well, you're pretty amazing and gorgeous yourself, actually. That that forum was full of amazing, gorgeous. I loved it. And one of the things I actually spoke about on the podcast um, since then is about the actual really authentic um, connections that I made up there and often do make when I do the country um, mix, not saying it doesn't happen in the city, but sometimes I find in Perth it can be a bit of a um, who's who and a bit of an Instagram opportunity whereas that trip in Broome I genuinely connected with so many amazing people and just I really authentic and um, amazing relationships and the people like yourself that got up and spoke like these are the stories that I'm I love you know that I would love for everybody else to hear because there's people like you hiding away that we don't know about (laughs) and you're amazing so thank you so much Alex, for sharing your story. Thank you, Elsa, for having me. It's been a great pleasure. And I know that everyone's going to love it so much that they'll subscribe to my podcast and give it a (laughs) five-star review. (laughs) Thanks, Alex. Okay, no worries. Thanks, Elsa. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the Bossy Bitch Podcast. I am Elsa Mitchell and you can find me at elsamitchell.com.au or if you'd like to meet my friends, please head on over to Facebook and I invite you to join our free group, Bossy Bitch. <laughs>